Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present. Welcome to the show, everybody. It's nice to have you here. I hope that everybody's having an awesome, awesome day because I have an awesome guest who's going to be able to help um, those of us who are in this type of relationship or know somebody that's in this type of relationship. And I think we all have one every now and again that crosses the boundaries and crosses the road and and gets into a bad place. Her name is uh, Sarah Himmel. She is an author. She's also one of my in the one of my favorite businesses, which is the food business. She's a uh, food consultant, and so she works with with uh, restaurants and folks on how to run their business to to success and and do really well and and stuff. and And we're going to be talking about her her road to happiness, which has been a difficult piece at times and and it's what a 20 25 year road to success yeah about that yikes (laughs) that makes it tough sarah welcome to the show how are you thank you i'm i'm great thanks for having me yes well you know i was struck by the fact that you were on tv you were the star of of a of a of a uh show that uh um or of an episode of a show. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, it was a normal Tuesday in the dead of winter in February and in Holly Springs, North, North Carolina, where I owned my restaurant. And out of nowhere, Food Network's Restaurant Impossible decided to ambush my restaurant. <laughs> they ambushed your restaurant. What, and what that means is they came in and they said, um, are you Sarah? And you said, yes. Yeah. And they said, we've looked at your resume and we like what you do and, and all the places you've been and, and all the work that you've done with hotels and as in one of the premier hotels in France, I believe, um, wasn't it France? So, yeah. So actually, um, Mark Summers walked into my restaurant and I didn't recognize him, but I recognized his voice because I watched him every single day as a kid watching Double Dare. He was the the host of Double Dare, one of my favorite shows as a kid. And I just like transformed back to being like this 11-year-old kid on the couch, like like hyper-focused on Double Dare. And I recognized his voice. And I was like, I must be going insane. There's no way that Mark Summers is in my restaurant. And I walked up to him and he introduced himself to me and confirmed that I was not going insane. He was indeed Mark Summers. And uh, he kind of wanted to get a picture of me and my husband and uh, and was just like, I really like um, what I see here. I did a lot of research on you. I'm really impressed in, in what you do and um, and like was acting like he was going to take a picture of us. And he's like, I really want to put you guys on Food Network. And then the door opened and a bone chilling wind blew in to my restaurant. And with that wind <laughs> blew in celebrity chef Robert Irvine and an entire film crew and he yells his his trademark yell well why don't we just do it right now (laughs) and I like literally pinched myself and I'm like there's no way and I look behind me and I see a 
a box truck pull in and then a Winnebago pull in and then another truck behind that. And then the Lexus uh, SUV that Robert Irvine drives in all of the episodes. And then like 30 people jump out of each car, like they're clown cars and then start put pitching tents. Like it's a traveling circus in my parking lot. I'm just like, Oh my God, this is really happening. Like there's no, there's no going back. There's no stopping it. They're ambushing my restaurant. This is crazy. (laughs) <laughs> and they did and they shot the episode in like what seven or eight hours or something it was it was like they were they were there for uh 24 hours and they put ten thousand dollars into my restaurant and renovated it and they left as quickly as they arrived Whew. yeah that must have been a, a real exciting moment for you but there's some things that happened within the episode that we want to focus on because it was a very enlightening period for you. Yeah. Um, tell us about what uh, the chef, the chef did. So I expected the majority, like the focal point of the episode to be about our tiny little kitchen and our like logistical issues that we had in the actual space. And I did expect there to be some conflict between me and my husband shown just for entertainment value. But I did not expect the focal point of the episode to be about the years of abuse that I endured and what that did to my self-esteem and me as a person. And when that episode aired, it was the most eye-opening experience for me. It was like a, almost like an out-of-body experience to see how the abuse affected me the person that I thought I was, that I used to be, that I no longer am, clearly shown on the episode. And it was very eye-opening. And for the first time, I heard what Robert Irvine said when I left the scene crying. First, he said to me, uh, you know, why do you put up with the abuse? Like, why, why do you let him speak to you that way? You're not a doormat. You don't deserve this. And I honestly said, I was like, because I know deep down he's a good person. And he's like, what he said to you, he called me a stubborn bitch on, on air. And (laughs) what he said to you, he said, that's infuriating to me. Why do you put up with that? And so he said, do you realize you can be rubbing elbows with Michelin star chefs right now in New York city? Do you realize that? And I said, yeah, I do. I know. I knew. And then afterwards, when I left the scene, he said, and then this is what I heard for the first time, she is the smartest person I have met on the show. She knows her numbers. She's been to a hotel school in Switzerland that is number one in the world. She had a full academic scholarship for school. She's run three hotels, but she is such a timid person because he made her that way. Well, you know, when I was reading your bio and I was looking at running now, when <laughs> when it said, and she ran three hotels, I assumed that, that you ran them one at a time, but for a total of three. You were running three hotels simultaneously, yes. which means you had three to six restaurants and you yep. had and you had catering departments and you yep. had uh rooms and you had uh sales and you were in charge of a bunch of folks and i'm sure they were a little bit different and so they each had their own niche oh yeah 
if if you will. So each one had to be done differently, and and the hiring for the, the, the that would be a monumental chore to run three hotels. How did you end up running three at the same time? Did they run out of people? So, <laughs> so, so one thing I do want to point out, and and it's it's probably one of the most invaluable things that I've learned is you definitely have to adjust your management style based on the competency and maturity of your team. And so each hotel was different. Each property was different. Each department was different. So, you know, for someone who is brand new at their job, doesn't really know it, um, hasn't been there that long, you need to be autocratic and you need to tell them this this needs to be done and there's no time to ask questions and that's the way it has to be. But a team that is mature and confi- uh, confident and competent in their job, they know what they're they're supposed to do. That's where you have to be more democratic. You have to get their buy-in. They need to understand the method to the madness and the logic. Otherwise, they're just not going to do it. Or it's going to be like pulling teeth to get them motivated in order to do it in a in a in a proper manner. And then there's another type, which yeah, they know their job, but the maturity probably isn't there. It's probably like, you know, high school kids or college kids. And, you know, so they need structure. So they need to know that someone's kind of watching what they're doing. Otherwise cats away, mice will play kind of mentality. So that's, that's probably like the most amazing thing that I learned from that experience is you can't just go about a different teams in the same way because it's not going to work. You, you have to be flexible to your team. Let me ask you this. What do you do when you clearly have a vision, either it's a vision from your head or from the owner of the, of the hotel? Oh, yeah. They have a vision of what they want to see, of what they want to have. And you have a staff of people who don't understand the vision or they're not willing to follow the vision. Oh, those people are just nuts. Uh, he thinks he yeah. wants this. He's crazy. I know better. Um, what do you do with them? Do you do the obvious thing, which is see you later? No, no. So you get you have to get their buy-in. What's in it for them? You know why? Why? Why is just why does this matter to me? Well, you do want a paycheck at the end of the day, right? You, you know, like you do want to still have a job. You want us to be in business, right? You know, and 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 especially in the the restaurant category. You know, you guys rely on tips by you providing the service that's going to increase your check average. And therefore, that is going to increase your tips. So it's it's understanding the values of your team. What like what do they value? And it's completely different than what corporate values. So it's finding that. That common area of, you know, what's in it for me on both sides and that mutual interest you know i had a conversation i had a was having a general meeting for the entire staff when i was new to a particular property and uh the question i asked them was okay who can tell me who the most important person in this building is and uh, of course uh, several of them wanting to kiss up said well by gosh of course you are (laughs) You're the manager. You're, I said, no, most important person in this building is the dishwasher. Yeah. And they said, well, well, dishwasher. Well, if he, if you don't have clean dishes, you can't do anything. 
No. And, and the other person that's most important is the hostess. If first you, impression. You the first impression when they walk in the door. If they think they're nice, we're going to have a good time here. It sets the tone, which makes your tips go up because yep. you're all they're already having a good time before they you even talk to them. And, Absolutely. And I those people bought into that philosophy because they could they could see the value of it. Yeah. It works. And then you have great dishwashers become great cooks. Yeah. And you know, and, and you so that's that's really is it's an important thing. You have to have buy-in. You're right. But it that it works that way in a relationship too, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Buy-in from everybody and and without people feeling, you know. Because I know you were in a relationship for a long time and it wasn't healthy for you. No, no. And I, and I tried, tried so hard to make it work. And once I was able to accept that no matter what I do or no matter how I try, it's not going to be good enough because their own expectations are infinite. It, it took me a long, I literally had to grieve oh, sure. that whole process to accept that. Oh, sure. Well, it's a, it's a tough thing. Yeah. When you're trying to be the, the consummate wife, you've got children, yeah. you've got, you've got a house that you want to make everything flow nicely. And, and I know if you're in the restaurant business, you have a set of um, expectations of how you would like things to go. You want right. them to go well. It's, it's like Thanksgiving dinner. You want the food to all be hot and up served at the same time. Yep. And everybody would be happy. Yeah. <laughs> In a dis dysfunctional family. <laughs> yeah. And nothing is ever perfect and, right. and stuff. So, um, so you were with him for 20 years. I heard he got kicked off the set. Yes. By, by, the, by the chef. Yes. That must have been. Now, did they show that? They did. Oh, my. They did. They showed him get kicked off. And as far as I know, I think he's the only one that ever got kicked off of that show. <laughs> well, yeah. deservedly so. Yeah. Deservedly so. So you were you know, with, is it fair to call him a narcissist? Um. So that's the thing. It's like, I, I am pretty sure he is what's called a dark triad, which is narcissist uh, traits psychopathic traits and sociopathic traits um so it's that's that's what gets so confusing because it's like these overlapping traits but he definitely meets the criteria of the dsm for narcissistic personality disorder absolutely so um was he ever diagnosed no am i a doctor no but i can tell you right now uh i was an expert on him and lived with him for almost 20 years and absolutely narcissistic personality disorder and then also traits of sociopath psychopath and even some borderline personality disorder and it went from verbal abuse and yes. belittling you to yes so abuse. a week after we were married was when the physical abuse started oh wow yeah that, that was soon yeah a week out you were still on your honeymoon weren't right. you we literally just got back from our honeymoon where it was back one day. We went out that night and that night he choked me and punched me in the jaw, leaving bruises. 
what could you have possibly done uh, to to get that? Nothing. I, I, I did absolutely nothing. And uh, so what led up to it was we were out uh, at our favorite place and our friend's band was playing and we had just got married. So they announced, you know, congratulations to the newly married bride and groom. People were buying us drinks. And I was just, I was standing there talking to a friend and out of nowhere, a bouncer grabbed me by my arms and pulled me out and like literally like picked me up and threw me out of the restaurant. And I had no idea what was happening. And he was already out there. So I guess he already got kicked out. I have no, to this day, have no idea what he did. And we got home and I'm trying to like have a conversation with him. Like what happened? Like what, how, why did I get thrown out? Like what happened? And I was asking him and he did not answer me. All he did was strangle me and uh, throw me on the kitchen floor and punch me in the jaw to the point where he's like literally strangling me and I'm looking in his eyes and like, I really thought I was going to die. And I don't know what came over him. I don't know why he let go of me, but he did. And he got up, left me on the floor and went in our room. And so I immediately ran out and my mom had lived, ne like, lived next door. And I, I ran over to her place and I was like, please call the police. She saw the marks on my neck. She saw the, the, the color in my face starting to, to bruise. And she looked at me and she said, you made your bed. Now you sleep in it. No way. She said, your, your, wedding license the ink on your wedding license is not even dry yet we spent all this money on your wedding you are going oh, to need to figure this out oh good well you, you know i'm glad you bring that up because that's more common than i think people yeah. would, would want to believe uh that you know well you know he's just that way and if you were just better to him um and and didn't make him mad None of this would happen. Yeah. <clears throat> and I told this to a domestic violence officer well after, you know, um, at like a, during other times of the abuse. And she asked, why didn't you just call the police? Thought never crossed my mind. That's how helpless I felt I was at that point. Yeah. I was, I, I needed somebody to rescue me. And I was asking her to call the police. Why didn't I call the police? I don't so, know. So let me ask you, because this is also a common trait, is that after you were beat up mm -hmm. and then you came home and he apologized profusely. No, 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 no. I came home and he was drunk, passed out. And then the next morning, he denied remembering anything. Oh, that's the other way out. <laughs> but he knew that he remembered that he was kicked out. But he okay. couldn't remember beating me up. And so in his, in his mind, he'd done nothing wrong and you were making it all up. Well, he's like, I was drunk. Oh, that's, that's, that, that, that excuse never worked for me. Right. But, but in any event, so I, first of all, Sarah, I'm really, really glad that you got out of that. Thank I'm you. glad that you've written the book tangled entangled in blue, um, which we can go into, but I want to make sure that we talk about um, well, we talked about right before sure. uh, the, the signs of, of what did you call it? Um, so 
I, I think I talked about abusive personalities. The signs of an abusive personality happens long before it turns physical. Yes. And so identifying some of those circular conversations that take place before it, and it leads to physical violence. And so I think I asked you, have you ever been in a conversation where it actually made you feel dizzy? Like you actually felt disoriented and nauseous because of how dizzy it made you. Because you're like, wait, what, what did we, what were we just talking about? How did this get turned back around on me? You know, here I am trying to address somebody's unacceptable behavior. They clearly, they, they, they crossed a boundary. They crossed a line and it hurt my feelings. And I was really upset and I really wanted to address it with them. But then how did it get turned back around me? How do, why do I feel like I am the offender and not the victim in this circumstance? Right. And it keeps going around and around and around and around with that person, no matter how no matter how valid your arguments are, no matter how much evidence you put, bring forth, it's just around and around. And this person doesn't have the ability to have basic logic or understand rules or common courtesy or human decency because there's a certain set of rules for them and everybody else needs to follow all the other rules. Follow their rules. Right. And their rules may had not be based in anything other than their own insecurities. Well, they're um, like, no, everybody else should follow rules and common courtesy and human decency, but I'm special. I don't need to follow those rules. <laughs> How do you argue with that? That's the thing. Like you can't argue with, with, with that, with, with irrationality. You can't. And so when you realize that that's happening, the only thing to do is just step out of the conversation. You're not going to change their mind. They're not going to understand your logic and it's only going to escalate. You know, Sarah, I was just sitting here thinking, going, you know, I hope that there are people listening to this because you were the general manager of three restaurants. You were a exalted chef. You had every right and ability to be grounded in your own skills and who you are and the person you are the chef saw that on the show and yet you went through this period where you lost all of that yes and your self-esteem because of some guy because he was jealous or something of you and and your skills and what you were capable of doing so if it can happen to you this is what i was happening to anybody I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. I don't care how brilliant you think you are. It can happen to anybody. And I, I lay that out in my book, how easy it, it was to happen to me and how persistent this person was. And how he just kind of ticked away at that brick wall that I built for myself. Now, why do you think that he stayed? Was he, if he was that unhappy or was it part of his shtick of that he was, that was, that was just how he felt a relationship should be run? I don't so, know. So I think this is like the, the thing that I will always struggle with is I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, he, he, there was something in me that he got. And, and the survivor community calls that source or supply or narcissistic supply. It's almost like a drug. And so it's that, that infinite amount of attention, that infinite amount of um, 
of, of stature, of, of money, of support, emotional support. And it, it, it wasn't, I mean, I was considered a primary source because I was his wife and I thought his life partner, but he had several other sources. He had several other people who thought were, were, he was their friend. No, these people don't have ability to have friends. They don't have the ability to have healthy relationships. They see every single person that they interact with as something that they can get out of. That's the weirdest thing. Have have you, I don't think like that. Thank you. A normal, healthy person does not. So it's really, (laughs) really hard to understand why, how could these people be so cruel? How could these people be so persistent and so horrible until you really understand their mentality? That sort of thing just doesn't even cross. It's like they're mm-hmm. they're the people the people that will go. I if I do this, I can get this out of them, and then I can do this, and they plan the whole damn thing on how they can get what they want out of folks. But see, to me, that's too much work. It <laughs> is. Know? It's exhausting, and the amount of energy that goes into grooming a victim, and you know, and and faking empathy. And making people think that you're actually interested in them, but what you're really doing is finding out their insecurities and their deep passions and all sorts of things. That, so that way you can use that against them later to control them and to get them to do what you want them to do. It is horrible. Oh, man. Well, I'm glad that uh, through it all... And- <laughs> you you've survived and you've you've survived well and get the get the book because i know some of the stories that are in the book that you haven't talked about today yeah. that uh, um will will really will there i'm sure they're a page turner uh, oh yeah because yeah with- I, so some of the feedback that i've gotten so far is is i couldn't put it down when did it come out uh, July third, I believe. Oh, so you <laughs> haven't even weekend? Yeah, Independence Day. <laughs> well, that's a good time for that book to come out. Yes. So you you haven't gotten any idea how many how many copies have been sold or any of that because that takes a while to come up with. Um, I mean, just in like the past couple months, uh, uh just under a hundred. So good, that's pretty good, I think. That's a, that's a great start, and yeah. a better start is that hopefully when people listen to the show and listen to how articulate you are and how smart you are and where it came from uh entangled in blue is the name of the book uh sarah uh, hummel is the author and you can go to uh estranged entangled in blue.com yep entangled in blue.com and you can order it from there or you can order it from amazon or anywhere and i highly recommend it if you know somebody that is in this yes. type of situation and it happens a hell of a lot more than than people because there's a reason why people don't want to even talk about it yeah and yeah there's happens. a lot of people that are suffering in silence and the average uh domestic violence victim it takes them seven times to leave for good because the it's called hoovering almost like being sucked back in like a vacuum it is so powerful because they're so manipulative and they know exactly how you're like your deepest, um, you know, insecurities and, and, and like the things that you care about. And usually it's children 
And so uh, women go back, uh, whether it's for, for financial reasons or, you know, they don't want their kids to be stuck in this horrible um, divorce or custody battle. It's, it's, it's really bad. So it's not just that simple to leave. It's, it's simple when you can notice the red flags and leave early. It is so much better, better because it is a lifelong process to have to rid yourself from. Um, so, I mean, some people have had to like change their identities and, and like li live a whole new, new life and, and move to different countries and they still follow them. It is, it is, really bad. So it's, it could be very complicated to leave. Um, and it could, uh, result in that almost lethal situation because, um, you know, the, if they can't have, you no one else can kind of mentality. Well, that, and that happens a lot more than you'd like to think. Yeah. It does. Um, and so that's why it's really important that I wanted to get the word out about these, these red flags. So if you notice them early, you can be like, Ooh, I don't want to see how that's going to work out and step out rather than being waiting until it's too late and being stuck in it. Preferably before you're married, that would be yeah. Uh, a, yeah. a really good idea. Um, can you go, go through some of the other steps through some of the other things that you observed in him that had you known that had, had you knew now what you didn't know then I'm not sure I even said that right. But if, but if you, if, how would you, have changed it if you were aware of those things and those triggers, if you will. I think the biggest thing is I gave him the benefit of the doubt every step of the way, and I should have listened to my own intuition. If you have alarm systems going off in your body, you need to listen to that. Don't, don't try and explain it away. Don't try to rationalize it away. You're not, it's not you being overreacting or no, like that, that is a true alarm system going off and, and you need to follow that. And, and I, I, I kick myself every time I think about all of the, the the signs that I had that I never followed. And I knew it. I knew deep down and I I chose not to follow it. And so so really it starts with name calling, um, you know, subtle put downs, jokes at your expense that like, you know, and, and when you bring it to their attention, oh, you can't take a joke. You're overreacting. And they and they minimize it. And it's like, no, one thing I noticed that that was the only time he really told the truth in jokes all of his jokes were 100% true. And it was either about me or it was about him. And that's probably going to be like the, the mystery that's going to drive me nuts for the rest of my life is like, was it really about him or was it about me? But it was 100% truth. And so it kind of goes on from there, white lies. And then you go and call him on it. And then you go in a, in a circular conversation. Oh, you violated my privacy because you figured out that I lied or all of these other excuses and minimizations and deflection and, and projection. And, and so that, that's why I say when you find yourself in those circular conversations, that's when it's like, okay, you know, there's, this is going to get worse. So you caught him in a lie yeah, and yeah. he turned it on you and said, yeah. you're violating my privacy because I lied to you. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it was something really benign too. He went out with his friends and lied about it. And I didn't care that he went out with his friends. So I told him, I'm like, Hey, look, I know you went out with your friends. Like you don't need to lie to me. Lost it. How do you know that? How did you know? Like you, you must have violated my privacy. Like, no, I'm not stupid. And you clearly went out with your friends and here's, here's how I know. And then, well, I'm not going to help you with your pipe dream of a coffee shop. What? We're not talking about my, like, 
And then now I realize that, okay, first of all, I didn't even know you're going to help me. I don't need your help, but now I secretly want you to help me. So now I feel like dependent on you. It is like, so they were so skillful at just the manipulation. And now I realize I'm talking about my dream of a coffee shop and not holding him accountable for his lie. <laughs> he was gifted. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that makes it that makes it so hard because you know I've been around couples and he will um, appear agitated or angry at something that she did and immediately she if she was standing at the you know like five five she now suddenly was four five and then she became three five because she would keep kept shrinking as he can he kept growing. That's yeah. kind of and the metaphor of how it is like is that he was, you know, five eight, now he's six eight, now he's seven eight, and you are shrinking because uh, in that in that relationship. So it makes it really tough for you to get back to five eight or whatever. Um, so I use the analogy is that I I kept shrinking and put myself into a box, almost like a cocoon. Yeah, there's a caterpillar in a cocoon throughout this whole thing when I was really like a butterfly that needed to like break out of that cocoon and spread her wings. Now, what would you say to people? Because there are some people who don't get it, never been in the situation like your mom, um, who don't get it when, when you tell them that he had you on the kitchen floor, he was yeah. choking you and he punched you in the face. Yeah. And some people would say, well, why didn't you just, I mean, you left the house, you go next door to your mom's. Why didn't you just leave him at that point? It can't happen. It doesn't happen that way, does it? I honestly can't tell you why. I ask myself that every day. But something inside of me, I did not have the courage. And I really needed emotional support. But by then, he had already isolated me from all of my support, all of my friends. That's one of the things that they do to control you. Yeah. Because all of those friends and all of those family and all of that support system was attention away from him. And also they didn't want anybody to make you think right. like what the chef did. Yeah. They didn't want anybody to come up to you and say, he's being an asshole. Why are yeah. you letting him do that to you? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a downward spiral of destructive behavior on his part. Slippery and, slope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was it finally at the end of the day? What was And I know it's in the book, mm -hmm. but what was it finally that was the last straw? He shot a gun into the floor in front of my two children. Oh, and I was on the <laughs> other side of that floor. And that bullet came within inches of my head. Uh, that'll do it. That that'll do it. But it, and it took that. And and I, I also understand SWAT was called and the yeah. police were there and and it was uh, child protection services was involved. And I literally had to sign something say, stating that I will keep my children away from him. And that also probably didn't go over well. No. He he filed for full custody. What? Yeah. Yeah. And so a family court battle ensued. And then one day the, the judge called out sick and he got mad. So he showed up to the kid's school and tried to kidnap them and take them out of the state. 
Now, in in the state of Washington, they have uh, the Amber Amber yeah. Alert. Yeah. Do they have that in New York too? Yeah, and luckily it didn't get that far. The school resource officer, like I, I notified the school. I gave them the the order of protection and a photo of him, and I said, "Look, he's in town." I don't think he would be stupid enough to do this, but just in case, and sure enough, he was. And the resource officer spotted him. The the kid's babysitter spotted him. Another parent of the of my my daughter's friend spotted him. And so the police were called, and he left before the police showed up. That's and he was standing that's, right by the door, waiting for them to come out. And that's that's how you know you've got good people around you when yeah, they yeah. when they'll stand up for you and and stuff like that. So um, it's it's a pleasure talking to you. I admire you. You're you're strong. You've got you're very courageous. Um, I know that there's a whole story about the kids and about the, yeah. the, 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 the how they're how old are they now, by the way? 14 and 11. 14, 14 year old boy, in middle school, 14 year old boy, but we 14 year old boy, 11 year old girl. And that's, you know, that's a great age. Yes. Um, it's also a difficult age. And it, it can is. Be. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the boy turns sixteen and wants to drive a car. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I buried three cars. God rest their souls. With <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Dad, yes. Um, <laughs> somebody hit me. Well, maybe I hit them. I don't know, but I got into an accident. Mm-hmm. Well, that happened a bunch. Anyway, um, growing pains. It, it is. It's, if somebody wants to contact you and, and oh, yeah. first of all, I wanted to make sure everybody knew this. Um, I believe it's 988 is the number. If you are, um, it's like a, it's like a 911, but it's a national number. If you need help in any way, uh, I think it's 988. It's, 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 am I correct in that? Do you know? I'm not, I've never heard of that. So I, I'm, I'm interested. Hold on, let me let me do my uh, favorite thing here. Google, uh, getting on the internet and seeing what. Uh, oh, if I could type, that'd be good. Uh, nine eight. Oh yes, the nine eight eight crisis hotline. Ah. Um, it's suicide and crisis lifeline. Um, and if you're a veteran, nine eight eight, and then hit one. And that'll take you to veteran services. But if you are somebody that has just been had just had the poo beat out of you by your significant other, and you don't feel like you've got anywhere to turn, call nine eight eight. That's a fairly that's a fairly new thing. Yeah, and, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I I have um, toured the facility in in Albany for specifically for veterans, and um, it's 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 so great that that's there for their support. We all, honestly, Sarah, we all need support at one time or another. Yeah, because life is messy, and it can be it can be very hard. And uh, um, and now being a restaurant consultant and doing what you're doing and and um, making making a real good living and and doing stuff and your kids are growing up. Have you decided that uh, some some people decide I've had enough with relationships? I ain't gonna do ever do that again. 
one of the best things out of this is I found the love that I was missing that I, I didn't even know that this type of love even existed. And this person loves me for all of my flaws and all of my insecurities. And it is so eye opening when you have someone for 20 years telling you how horrible you are and how worthless and, um, and disgusting you are to have someone love me flaws and all. Well, everybody's no one's perfect. Everybody's got flaws, but I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, it's, it amazes me that because if, when you were GM of three different properties and you had people coming to you all day, every yeah. day and saying, um, Ms. Hummel, could you come here and help me with this? And I need to do this. And, and, uh, you were a, an exalted position and for you to have, self-worth issues it can happen to anybody yeah yeah when you're told something over and over again and then they get all their enablers and all these people that they've already convinced that that's what you are and they make you so upset that in public you have a very sane reaction to their very insane behavior you're the one that looks crazy <laughs> that's crazy uh, but it's true um yeah. it, it really is uh we're coming to our end of this this episode together and i want to have you back i want to put you on uh, kixie because i think you'll help people to great. a great degree so i want i want you to come back and do that but in the meantime i would like you to tell our audience the ones that are listening now and the ones that will be listening to this in the future anything that you'd like them to know uh if Anything kind of rings true in anything that you heard. Um, you're actually like feeling like almost like a, a like a sensation in your body. Like, wait a minute, this this I might be in this sort of situation. The first thing is understanding that you're not alone, and and that's something that I need to remind myself every day is that there are millions of people that are suffering in silence. And the reason for why I am telling such a very personal story is if I could save one life, if I could encourage one person to have enough self-love and enough self-respect, not only for themselves, but all the, all the other people that love them that are literally feeling hurt watching them go through this horrible situation that they're in, just know that you're not alone and there is support out there. And you will have gained the strength to leave and you deserve more. And if someone's telling you over and over again that you don't deserve it, nobody deserves it. Nobody deserves to be treated like that. Nobody. And if you're someone who does think that there are certain people who deserve to be treated with the abuse, the, the horrible psychological abuse that goes into long before the physical starts, then maybe you should probably call somebody and seek some help as well. And it can be a generational thing. It can go from father to Absolutely. son. And cycle uh, stops with me. Yes. And you, you have uh, stopped the gener the seven generation cycle. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, that is, that's really cool. And by the way, if you are somebody that treats somebody and doesn't have respect for them, or if somebody treats you without respect, run don't, yeah. don't wait go don't anticipate oh he just had a bad day no there's an underlying reason for that go see somebody yeah uh, and and go get help 
and that maybe up into leaving and getting having to get because you had went through I love jobs. Yeah. I mean, the workforce is a very um, abusive place as well, and so it's taken me a long time to find a, a good home and a good place um, as well. And so that could be really hard because that's your livelihood, and it could be really tough to take a stance. Yeah, I, it's just, it's, I hate to say this, but especially in the restaurant business, yeah, there, there are lots of uh, how you say hardworking, lower educated people who are bullies. Yes, and they want to be in charge because they get to be a bully, and they yes. can do what they feel like they can do whatever they want. And you can't. You you're never going to achieve anything if you're a bully. So, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Go get the book. Thank you. Entangled in blue. <laughs> I I snuck up on you there, didn't I? You did. And <laughs> <laughs> entangled in blue. And uh, and Sarah, thank you so much for being here. And if you need a really really talented restaurant consultant, <laughs> uh, go to our website and you can you can talk to her entangledinblue.com and uh, and she'll maybe make you a millionaire because she's so good at yeah. running restaurants. Yeah. So. Thank you, my dear. And uh, you take care of yourself. And we're going to be looking for another Positive Talk episode with Sarah because her, what she, her message is one of the most important messages that I can. It, it's along. It's up there with uh, suicide and drug addiction and because it's so pervasive in our society. Bad love is more addictive than heroin. Ew. That's, 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 it even has physical withdrawal symptoms. That's what well, we need to talk about that next time because All they, right. you, you you would think nah but it does and yes. uh, it's it's a horrible thing so thank you for being thank here. you and thank you for telling your story and you're right somebody is gonna and I've said this before somebody is gonna pick up your book it's either gonna be on the uh, the um, end end encounter of somebody's living room it's gonna be in the bookshelf. It's going to be in a used bookstore in five or 10 years and they're going to pick it up and they're going to read it. And it's going to save their life. And that is the highest, the highest thing that you can, that you can do. Absolutely. So thank you again, kiddo. Thank you. And uh, wait right there. I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.